0: Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. And today on the podcast, we have my new friend, Doug Reed. Doug is the President and CEO of Meridian Associates, a mid-sized firm supporting the alternative energy and real estate industry with innovative civil engineering and geospatial survey solutions such as 3D LIDAR modeling. Prior to Meridian, Doug has been an owner and executive in two top ENR engineering and environmental firms serving private, state, and federal clients. Doug is also the author of a critically renowned book, Lead a Movement, An Insider's Guide to Powerful Strategy Execution which we will be doing a giveaway as part of our uh, podcast here. Doug also maintains his own business consulting practice, Foster Growth. Doug, pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places.
1: Thank you very much, BJ. I'm glad to be here. Excited it's great to, to have
0: you. <laughs> I, I'm excited to learn. I'm, I've got my pen and paper out, so I, I think I'm going to be spending uh, more time taking notes here and let you, uh, let you lead sure. the conversation. Uh, it sounds like you've, you've done a little bit of everything, big and small, mid-size, public-private sector. Yeah. Uh, tell, us, tell us about your career path and, and how we got to today, Doug.
1: Well, just uh, remembering uh, a keynote speaker at a national engineering conference, which I just came from yesterday, uh, someone was talking about their life, and um, they made the point that sometimes our you, we think about it, our life could take all kinds of different directions. Often we can trace it back to one decision we make. One event, one decision make, we made it, and it completely changed our life. And you think back, what if I'd made a different decision? Hmm. And sometimes we just fall into things. For me, I'm a civil engineer. Why? Because my father was a civil engineer. Graduating high school, okay, I'm pretty good at math and science. What should I do? Okay. Civil engineering, why not? So that was the extent of it. Was it wasn't a lifelong mission or, or <laughs> vision <laughs> or anything like that. It was just where it took me. And uh, so what was the luck part uh, is that I – ended up coming out of college and working for a firm uh, It was a very small firm uh, like 25 or 30 employees and here I was 22 years old but the fortunate part was it was managed by somebody who was not an engineer he was a business major uh, and he had maybe he was a political science major from another well-known firm and he had came here and as CEO But kind of because he wasn't a civil engineer, he couldn't really do the technical parts, so he had to delegate that. So therefore, he he taught and and allowed people to grow and develop and empower them to make their own decisions. So very early on, I was in an environment where I was encouraged to go out and do things that sometimes a junior person doesn't normally get to do. Uh, At first, I wasn't very interested in that you're an engineer or whatever your career is, you're probably thinking about whatever the technical focus of your career, which often isn't the business side of it. So I had no interest in managing a project or selling or or becoming an executive. I just wanted to be really good at uh, drinking water and water treatment plants. That's with me. They decided that they would chase a particular project and um, they took me to an interview. I was there with the senior person and the person on the selection committee just so happened to go to the same college I did and they just got enamored with that which really isn't a reason to hire a firm but <laughs> the the person really thought it was kinda cool it was some guy you know 75 years old and know it's 20 something graduated from the same college and so we thought it was cool so we won the job <laughs> I don't know if it was because of that but just that experience of going out and selling some services and and being selected it just was a really good feeling. So that decision was, you know, okay. He's kind of dragged me along to this, but it was fun. So that started me down the path of just really enjoying uh, the cell side of engineering, but also the client relationship side. And so from there, that 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 continued a path to uh, to becoming enamored with the business. I also had a very senior person who worked for me who um, said he didn't really think a lot of me. didn't think I was going to go anywhere because every morning when I was having a cup of coffee, I'd sit there and read the Wall Street Journal. Hmm. (laughs) And that wasn't working on projects. He's like, what is this engineer reading the Wall Street Journal? I said, well, I like business. I like it. So (laughs) So that's as things evolve. So uh, having that environment, I then – Got more interested in growth, and I changed jobs and worked for a company that just talked a lot more about creating opportunities for people and growth, growing a comp- company in terms of numbers. And so I, I went there. And similarly, uh, that was a very empowering company. And what that person believed, the CEO of that company, believed that education was the path towards success. And it was a company about a 100 employees, but it was founded by. One person who was a professor in engineering mm-hmm. prior to buying a small engineering firm, and the other one was one of his favorite students, both engineers. So here's this environment where the owners were professors, so their whole outlook on business was all about education.
0: Academic. Uh,
1: so with academics, I know now from being exposed to many different firms, engineering firms, architectural firms, and environmental firms, uh, it's, a, it's an industry that does not invest a lot in formal training. They, they spend about at least half um, as much as nationwide averages for spending on, on formal training programs for the employees. And so I was sort of lucky that they, they invested a lot. Uh, so early things were more like sales and project management. Uh, later things were more executive, company management kind of things. And the CEO uh, took me under his wing because he said, "Okay, this by that time, you know, a 30-something-year-old really, um, really enjoys the business side of our business." So I got to work with that uh, CEO's personal uh, business coach a lot, and uh, so we did things like restructured the company, put together a new board of directors, made decisions about growing and expanding. Uh, the company geographically into new services, and that was a lot of fun. But that was an environment where the company was all about growth, and it was growth all about career development, really based on the fact that the owners were enamored and committed to education and learning. I began to learn through my professional involvement in different engineering organizations that, that not all companies think that way. uh, Not many do. (laughs) Not, not many do. That's right. Uh, And, but the concept of growth for the sake of growth um, got me talking uh, and thinking about the reasons for growth. And as a a conference I attended that had a kind of a CEO and executive roundtable, about fifty or sixty different firms represented, um, talked about a whole variety of topics. But the moderator made a statement that said, "Okay, everybody, uh, I know growth is 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 probably important to all of you, so let's talk about growing your firm." And someone raised their hand and was it was acknowledged and said, "You know, our firms are really not interested in growth." And he said, "Oh, okay, sorry, I just made that assumption." Well, somebody else and then another person, another person said, "You know, we're not really interested in growth either." So the takeaway is that. The truth is that not everybody's interested in growth, which is okay. It's just what they want. It's just that it's a different way of looking at the world, growth versus not growth. And then there's different reasons for growth. Uh, for instance, um, in this case, with the educational en- environment that i that I operated in, the growth was really professional development for the individual. So when one thought about long-term strategic planning for a company, it was all wrapped around professional development and career advancement. So why should we grow? Well, we should grow to advance employees' careers. So that's one reason is to advance employees' careers. And I think there's a lot of companies that say that, whether they practice that, I don't know. But they they generally recognize that if they don't advance people's careers, they're going to leave. So they do some amount of it. But there are companies out there that say, I want to grow because I want to make a lot of money that's a completely different model and we see firms that are just acquisitions and getting bought by private equity and they're just and those ceos that say yeah i started out with a million dollars worth of stock and three years later it's ten million dollars with the stock so then it's all about that different kind of growth and then there's um but back to the the idea of no growth uh and i have a little story to share because sitting oh, around a room with like to people, stories you want a story, okay. I this want a story. This is a somewhat true life story. Uh, so, um, in talking to, and this is from my book, I've had a number of people talk about this story, which is why I chose to share it with you. They said, wow, I've, I've struggled as a CEO to explain to my employees why growth was good. Okay. Uh, because they knew that growth was hard, because growth means you have to keep learning, and you have to accept new ideas. And expand your mind and things like that, and and I, I think that people in general there's, don't really want to do that. They they're in their comfort zone. So it comes uh, back to uh, a story. Uh, it's called "Why Good Enough Isn't." And it starts focus on a Jim. On He's a project engineer, and he lived a few miles from work. on On the way to his office, he encountered several intersections with stop signs. And every morning, he would stop at those stop signs on the way to his office. Usually holding a cup of coffee, too. Well, as he did this each morning, he was an early bird. So he was going to these, to these intersections, and there was really nobody coming the other way, right? So and it was a big deal. I don't need to absolutely stop. So he would come and kind of roll through the stop signs and then look a little bit and go. Well, one morning, something happened with his kids. He was really annoyed at one of his kids. Just generally kind of angry and in a bad mood that morning. And he grabbed his cup of coffee and stomped out. Through the little uh, altercation with his, with his child, he got out of the door later. So he's in a hurry. So he's on his way to work. He rolled through that stop sign, even more of a roll than, than normal. And he was T-boned. A car was coming the other way and slammed into him. He careened into the corner, opposite corner of the intersection, and the other car went across the intersection and and hit a fence. And he jumped out of his car, ran over, and there was a woman just kind of opening her door, being groggy. And he says, oh, my god, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, So long story short, an ambulance came and took her to the hospital. But she looked like she was okay. She had a bruise on her forehead and the policeman did write him up a ticket for running a stop sign. So a few days later he was thinking about that. You know, all I got was a ticket. That person was okay. Their car was ruined. My car was ruined. But no one died. But he thought, well, what if somebody had died? What if someone had died? My carelessness or my letting my emotions uh, take over for me, caused me to run that stop sign, I could have killed somebody. And then what would have happened to my life? He'd probably be in jail. He might lose his engineering license, because I really don't like you to have a felony record <laughs> if you have an engineering degree. So the lesson was there that he was just complacent. He was in his good enough zone, not paying attention. So that story illustrates the danger of saying we don't want to grow. For a while, everything seems fine. We just keep doing what we're doing day after day. But eventually, the day comes when there's a slip-up. And that slip-up, depending on what it is, might ruin you. Now, we know often it doesn't. It's like, oops, you know, engineering world, you got to redo it. Or if you have a project around the house and you do it wrong, it's like, okay, you got to spend more money and fix it. Um, As as my
0: colleague Brian People would say, we do it nice because we do it twice is the philosophy of some. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So so that's why um, that lesson that if we're not always trying to improve ourselves, we can find ourselves with mistakes and any more mistakes. And if you think about it as of of a stairway, a stairway from one level to another level. If you're just standing on that stairway and always operating and doing things on that stairway, what are the chances you might trip and fall down the stairs? But if you're always incrementally improving yourself one step at a time, at least if you do slip, you probably won't fall all the way down to the bottom. I like that analogy. Yeah, uh, so it's not,
0: go, ahead. go ahead. Your story reminded me of uh, who moved my cheese. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you've read that one. Yeah, with uh, yeah. it's a lot uh, him, like that. him, him and Hall, right? Him and Hall. Uh, him and people Hall. That don't want to change.
1: Yeah, um, so the, just real quick. The, the other lesson here is that not everybody wants to achieve, you know, the ultimate prize, be the best. You know, they just want to be pretty good. So yeah. the top of the stairs might be the pot of gold or the you know you're the president, you know the millionaire or whatever the 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 guru that's nationally known as an engineer. You don't have to strive for that, but you have to always, always be improving. I agree. I,
0: well, and I, I think the environment's always changing in our our industry. So uh, I, if you're not improving, you're falling behind professionally. yep, and I also think you know to your point, complacency, you know, different parts of our, our industry get tranches of money or, or get more energized at different times. So you constantly, constantly have to be diversifying, whether that's public and private, federal or state. Um, so I, I agree with all of that. Tell me, tell me at what point in your career, uh, I mean, you had leadership roles in these firms. you how long have you been at Meridian? Two years. Two years at Meridian, and, and how did you get selected to lead that firm?
1: Well, along the way, uh, I had been with that company with strong educational environment, and we grew pretty big. We were 500 employees. And uh, I had been friendly with um, my former employer and some of the, the senior people there. And they um, every time I saw them, they said, you know, you should come back. So uh, they had uh, gotten into some trouble, I think from the good enough zone example, and they had dropped from 200 employees down about 90. Big turnover, a lot of unhappiness. And um, the owners are getting towards retirement, and they really didn't have a good exit strategy. Nobody really wanted to buy their stock because it was going down, right? So so I I agreed to come back and, and take on the challenge. So in three years, um, we applied some of the good enough zone examples and brought in a lot of learning, a lot of empowerment, a lot of coaching. And in three years we doubled the company and hit top quartile profits, which in the engineering world is about 22, 23% or so. And we were able to sell the company at a very attractive price, which allowed wow. the owners to exit. So when that happened, I said, you know, um, this was fun, uh, the, the challenge of getting people to change their way, their complacent way, and to learn and uh, we identify, you know, future n- new leaders emerged from all that and people that were not empowered before, you know, sort of started to see themselves in a different light and all of that was what led to that company's financial success. So I then decided to, to do that for a living. I decided, well, I can do this for mul- multiple companies. So I started that company called Foster Growth. Gotcha. And it was me, okay. you know, the business consulting, working with engineers, architectural firms, some construction companies, and environmental services firms, services as well. Usually coaching the CEO, the management team on developing strategy. But unlike a lot of business consultants, because I had actually the background working for firms. Many people don't. They know how to do strategic planning, and they got their MBA, but they've never actually lived in that role. In the so trenches. they tend to move on. They do the strategic plan with the team, and then they leave. And, uh, in fact, uh, one that one person that's done a lot of uh, strategic planning for the industry, in te- speaking to him, I said, do you know whether any of that strategy development actually was actually implemented? And he says, no, I rarely know that. I said, well, that's to me not very satisfying because I want to stay and see it implemented. So that's what I did. I generally would work with companies for a year, two or three years, you know, you know, probably a day a week or something, or I was talking to them all the time and working with different breakout groups on advancing different elements of their strategic plan. So working with with CEOs and teams on implementing these strategies uh, to, to educate and to empower staff, and to start to develop best practices. Um, I said, you know, maybe maybe I should just go back into this. I kind of missed the engineering, right? I'm still in it, but I'm an advisor. I right. said, I think i really like to actually be the CEO and be the one directly responsible for those changes, as well as the financial performance of that company. So that's when I put out the feelers, and um, Meridian found me. And um, it was a good firm. Um, I really enjoyed meeting the people here. Um, they just really needed some leadership. They had had um, a difficult ownership transition from the original founders. Mm. They were kind of flowering, floundering financially. And they really needed some leadership. So I, I came here two years ago. And it's a terrific group of people. I very much enjoy working with them. There are some that were here that were the senior people who were clearly in the good enough zone. They really did not want to climb a step, not even one. <laughs> and so um, slowly but surely they left the firm. Did not want to be part of that. But what happened is those you know, younger staff who had never been exposed to any, any um, formal learning programs, no one really talked to them about how the business works and you know, how to negotiate a contract with a client, how to price, how to work through problems, how to uh, uh, sell your services, how to create a name for yourself in the industry. They were never given that opportunity. So here we just poured on that learning. I mean, for instance, my first four months here, everybody had a weekly project management forum for an hour and a half every Tuesday morning. It was an educational component and then a group problem-solving conversation. And then every Friday we had a sales discussion which was focused on, on client relationships and managing clients' expectations and understanding a client and how to respond to a client every single week. So that was a lot of time. They had zero of that before and now I are having two of these meetings a week, every week. Uh, we do those now every two weeks, for instance, we backed it down. But what they are really happy about is that there's a lot of the sort of mid-level staff that are just on fire now. They, now, they didn't see themselves as being operating this way, but now they clearly do.
0: This is the second podcast in, in a short period of time where we got into two of the same topics. One is the importance of investing in training. Um, and two is the importance of giving young staff opportunities to get out there in front of clients. And I, I had a similar, I had a, probably the biggest win in MCFA's history. Um, and it was similar to yours that I think, I think the differentiator, I think that we were technically, uh, as competent as anybody else. But one of the clients was like, my dad went to West Point, you went to West Point. I went to Penn State. Your owners went to Penn State, and like, for some reason, you know, whether that was psychologically or emotionally tied, like we mm-hmm. were the underdog that he was cheering for, and and we got the job. Wow, uh, there you go. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so, yeah. so alumni, alumni colleges do matter. Don't forget to don't forget to say where you went. Yep. Um, right. You you've had a, an amazing career. You've Uh, through your consulting firm, you've probably had a a few careers just because you've gotten to sit at the leadership table of, of several different experiences. Yeah. Uh, any in particular, uh, you know, I, we talked about growth and, and not becoming complacent, but any project experience or any, any, uh, engagement leadership experience stand out to you that you want to share with, uh, our audience.
1: Okay. Uh, sure. Uh, here's an example. It's uh, about colleges. So there's uh, uh, an engineer in my beginning in my career, I actually worked with his mother <laughs> and knew when he was born. Relationships <laughs> and so, matter. Lo and behold, later on, she actually had come to work for me from working for a, a city, had come to work for me and then gone back and then retired. So lo and behold, when I had gone back to help that company, he was there. But he was a technical person. He was really good at what he did. And um, the, the challenge was that the person he worked for was very much about um, wanting to take credit. They were all worried about who got credit for that sale or for making that client. Right. Out. So my counseling to that senior person was you really have to lighten up. You have to let this people, this person explore whether this is something he wants to do. So the, the person agreed. So I sat down with this individual and I said, well, you're going to this one job site almost weekly in a different part of the state. Do you know anybody out there? And he said, <laughs> well, actually, my college roommate works a few towns away. The Department of Public Works. And I said, really? And you've been going out there all the time? Do you ever call him up? No. Do you ever go visit him? No. Nothing? I said, go do it. <laughs> So he did. He one of his trips out there, uh, he he went up and met the guy. And he did it again the next time. And each time I'd sit down with him and brief on what he found out. What is the structure of their client's organization? Who's who? of uh, who's who, you know, what kind of things do they got going on? So eventually his friend introduced him to the commissioner of public works for that city as a city. And so again that conversation. So then therefore he was able to then bring one of the senior staff out there to have conversation with him so in about 3 or 4 months that that prospect his college friend became a client and he ended up becoming a very important client so one takeaway as they say trying to remove the barrier which is getting the buy-in from the person to just let it loose let go let it go let him do it but also frankly i said you know it's really called cheap marketing you take a person who's like ninety percent billable in a project, but if you can get him to divert fifteen minutes away from a project site where he's getting paid two hours each way to drive to. Just <laughs> drive right up the road. It's pretty cheap. It's 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 not gonna ruin his billability for the week. Right. To go do that. Yet that person got very excited about it. And I think from there he started Doing more of that, and not only that, but he just started having confidence in his ability. So that's kind of an example of uh, that I I see, uh, and that person's still doing really well, and uh, and that kind of empowering, just letting people do things, and and him not ever thinking that he was going to be either anything other than a technical engineer. Yeah, like no, and your clients love you, you know. So you just got to let the, let them have that that conversation with the client. And the other end of this, I find myself saying, is a lot of engineers are not extroverted, and they think of that salesperson as being, or that someone is responsible for selling, has to be this extroverted person. So I yeah, say, it's not. Well, it's then. not I, true. Yeah, it's not. I say, you know what? I bet you most of our clients are introverted. You know, so you know what? They like they like you better. They like me. <laughs> you. But you know how to connect, and they respect you, and you become. Co- comrades almost so keep that in mind a lot of your clients are the same way as you so if you just match yourself to a client that's where you click you can go a long ways with it so yeah and if they don't then go bring in somebody else that has a better personality match but (laughs) there you go Um,
0: what led you to writing the book
1: well I think uh, from some of those experiences I was pretty passionate uh, having developed a strategic planning platform based on my yeah. experiences. And so I either started de- working with companies on strategy, which led to strategic planning, or I would start with strategic planning. But I had the plan all mapped out as a two-day workshop, workbooks and everything. It was produced uh, all you know, nice and in design. It looked great. So I think from that, I just uh, saw that um, – Taking it to another level and documenting it would be would be of interest to the industry.
0: Yeah. Well, we talked in the, the beginning of the show. We're going to try and do a raffle, so if you're listening to this, look for uh, wherever you found this, maybe Spotify or iTunes. But go to LinkedIn, connect with Doug and I, and you'll you'll have a chance at winning a, a free copy of the book. Absolutely,
1: um, love to share it with you.
0: Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Yeah, so Doug, uh, moving on to some some, uh, kind of rapid-fire questions here. Uh, you wrote a book, but do you have any must-read books for uh, for the engineering community? Well, um,
1: I think that um, I think it's a Daniel Pink's book, Drive. It's a great book. It's a great book. Yeah, and um, the other one that I um, really love actually is a is a college textbook. <laughs> which is on organizational behavior. And there's probably a lot of them out there. Um, but what I find, and I think it's, you know, as an engineer, you don't really take a class in organizational behavior. But maybe you're working with somebody that has. And those aren't as entertaining as a book. But when you read something like that, you realize that all these business books up out there, whether it be Stephen Covey books, uh, or other, or Jack Welch's book on success, which is a good book too, you know, um, that he wrote with his wife, Susie, um, that you realize that these books are generally the story side of the principles that are found in, in that textbook.
0: It's the same formula, right? It's,
1: it's taking the, you know, the, I mean, there's like 16 chapters in that book, but for every chapter, there's prob- dozens of entertaining kind of books business books out there that you learn from that are on those same principles. Yeah. So I had just really said, wow, this it isn't just one person who wrote this book. That's very interesting to read. There's, there's some consistent science behind all of this. Yeah, that no the, usually in the books, they just take it and they, they like the story I told you, that's a practical application of the science. That's right. So why there's a chapter in my book called business science, the science of business. So there's fundamental rules of business. I think that if you, if you do this, this will happen.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, now we're in, in agile before that lean six Sigma before that total quality management, even that was kind of formulaic and it's repackaged and I'm with you. It's yeah. um, And, and I, I agree that the power of storytelling is that it's that much more likely to stick or at least give you the, the inspiration to give it a try, um, so uh, that's why we love reading.
1: Yeah. Uh, any any favorite quotes? I was at a presentation yesterday, actually, morning, and the present presenter. Let me get you the names correct here. Interesting instructor uh, uh, presenter. She was the first Thunderbird pilot. In the Air Force, the female hmm. pilot. Wow, Nicole Malachowski. Okay, first woman Thunderbird pilot and combat veteran. So interesting because just talking about how they learn how to fly at 500 miles an hour straight at each other and don't hit each other, and they're 20 feet apart when they get to that point. And and uh, but she said, you know, what's really all about? She said somebody said how does it feel to be the best she said well that's actually never entered my head about being the best said what it takes to succeed is to be part of the best team the best team gets that way through respect trust and accountability so I wrote that down so it's not about individualism it's about your team and a team is successful will believe in trust, respect, and accountability. Now you imagine her circumstances when they're six planes flying 500 miles an hour and their their wingtips are 10 feet apart. She said, you yeah. have to trust. A
0: lot of, a lot of trust.
1: <laughs> and she said, that when, she said, I know you engineers are thinking that when we're about flying at each other and we don't hit, we go by each other, that there's probably some software program. It's built into <laughs> our navigation system that prevents us from hitting each other. She says it's not. There is nothing. It's just the pilot making decisions. Yeah. It's trust, accountability, and the respect. So I, I really like that. That one. It's a it's a
0: steady hand to to fly one of those jets.
1: And then the other I'll give you one other quote. She said, uh, this is what actually inspired her apply for like the tenth plus time. A general when she sort of gave up she told this general she happened to see in a bar that she was pretty much giving up. And he said, no one likes, no one wants to have a scripted life. I thought, wow, pretty profound. No one likes a scripted life. Meaning if others think that you can or can't do something, just don't pay attention to it. Yeah. You decide, you, you choose your destination and it goes back to that, you know, that decision you make we talked about at the beginning of the podcast takes yeah. you in
0: different directions and that made all the difference if you will yep. um dead or alive if you could hang out with three people for a day who would they be what would you do
1: well i like music all
0: right <laughs> it does not have to be industry related yeah right so music music i'm all for it and we want to we want to to hear a little bit Doug Reed's personality here.
1: Yeah. I think, um, well, just in terms of uniqueness, um, I really like Jimi Hendrix. All right. Really good musician. He he just, you know, uh, was his own thing. Created his own sound. Was his own individual. Nobody scripted his life. No, (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, for sure. Yeah. I think, um, I think just some of the greatest uh, songwriters out there. Um, what, what do I do? I might probably just hang up. I try to have them show me some licks on my guitar. Is what I would do but.
0: Do you play guitar?
1: Yeah, I do. Not that well, but I do. I just hey, right. my guitar amplifier from when I was 17. It's a classic now. There you go. There, there, was, my...
0: a, there, there was a decision in your life that you almost were a rock star,
1: Doug. Yeah, that was the th- backup to civil engineering. To be honest, there you go. <laughs> it was okay. I could go be a music major and probably not make any money and not have a career, <laughs> or or I could uh, be a civil engineer. So I did that, and and actually another decision is I bid at a silent auction on a guitar, a Fender Stratocaster, had Isle's signature on it, and uh, I got that about a year before he died. So uh, wow, that's pretty cool. That's my guitar I play now. So
0: there you go. Is there anybody in the industry that you look at and they inspire you? Could be a project person, it could be a leader person, it could be could be somebody you uh, met along your path. Anybody in the industry?
1: Well the the founders of Woodard and Curran where I worked for a long time were Frank Woodard and uh with Al Curran and Frank Woodard. And and Frank was the professor. And he was a technical guy that didn't really pay attention or didn't care to pay attention to the business side. But he was someone that I once went uh, to ask him a question and he was busy. And he said, You know, I'm really busy now. I'll get back to you later. like, Okay. I'm thinking, you'll never remember. <laughs> days later, he comes by my office and said, Hey, you wanted to talk to me about something. And I'm Really? You know, here I am, like, you know, 28 years old and the CEO of the company remembered that. So, you know, that, that was um, touchy, that he really cared. And that was sort of the culture, you know, caring about everybody. So yeah. that really had an impact on me.
0: That's great. Um, you've done a lot. You've been involved in a lot of businesses. Um, what, what do you want to be remembered for? What's your legacy?
1: Mm. Well, that I had a positive impact on people's careers. Yeah. And I think I, I get a lot of gratification out of people that I've worked with from even my 20s. You know, I might have left that firm, but I'm still friendly with those who haven't yet retired. That is. And, but all along the way, um, just a great group of people. And uh, I hear a lot that, you know, Doug, I still practice some of those things you taught me. And that's very gratifying. That
0: is, I bet. Yeah. Um, any closing inspiration for our, for our audience?
1: Well, I think always be learning. I like the don't lead a scripted life. Uh, always be learning. Always be exploring. Ask questions. Uh, if you're at the beginning part of your career, if you do that, you will stand out. You'll be noticed, and um, and that'll open doors for you. And don't just say, "Oh, I'm not very good at having conversations," or "I don't really know how to do this particular task." Ask people because there will be people who will enjoy sharing and enjoy um, mentoring you and coaching you on how to get there. So yeah, you know, I agree. Put an exclamation
0: people. point on that.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, Challenge challenging our young people. Get out there. Uh, you got to get reps. You got to get reps. So get out there and, and challenge yourself and keep growing. Yeah. Doug, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Can't wait to uh, stay in touch. Can't wait to read your book. Again, um, we are going to do a, uh, we'll do a raffle of some sort on uh, LinkedIn. So if you're listening, connect with Doug Reed and BJ Kramer on LinkedIn. Doug, thanks so much.
1: Okay. Have a good day. Bye-bye.
0: Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.